We're back for the first episode of the Internet Computer Weekly for 2022. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have John Weigley and Diego Pratt, who are going to explain in hopefully relatively simple terms, staking the NNS, voting, and everything governance on the internet computer. So thanks for joining me, guys. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us, Arthur. Now, John, the audience probably isn't quite so familiar with yourself as they are with Diego Pratt himself. Could you start by giving us a quick intro? Sure. I work now as a principal engineer at Definity, though I've recently joined the research side of the organization. I started out in my career working on compilers, then did a lot of stuff with functional programming. It was coming to Definity to do software verification at Definity that got me introduced into blockchain and all the sort of stuff that we run on top of it. Been a very fascinating journey, by the way. I was not a blockchain enthusiast before working at Definity, but when I started to learn the internet computer protocol and how everything works and what its benefits could be, I started to become quite excited by the project. Awesome. I suppose the best way to start this conversation off, now that we've got the man himself, the domain expert here, John, is what is the reason for having on-chain governance in the internet computer? So the internet computer is designed to be an environment in which people can run applications, host canister, provide services, and the whole thing should be very long-living and supported by the public. That's the story behind decentralized foundational computing structure. But in order for it to remain healthy and evolve as it needs to over time, there will need to be changes. And we want those changes to be driven from the participants. So having people stake ICP gives them voting power to decide on the proposals that will be coming up. And each of these proposals has a proposition to change some aspect of the internet computer or improve it. And the community should be able to collectively vote on which one gives them the most advantageous future so that this thing keeps moving forward in the direction it will need to. If Web3 becomes as big as people think it may do, then we might need to scale up enormously. We may have to change the way resources are utilized. We may have to add functionality like moving canisters between subnets. All of these things that haven't happened yet but are going to happen in the future, they should occur as a natural result of people's participation in governance. What does that look like and how do you facilitate that through this governance system that you've built, the NNS? Sure. So there are two sides to this. One side is making a proposal. So it takes a one ICP deposit to submit a proposal for a change to be made on the internet computer. And then people vote on that proposal. If it's a governance proposal, something that is suggested to change the way that the system is governed, then only 3% of the stakeholders need to vote on that, a majority yes or majority no, to carry or deny or reject the proposal. If the proposal is carried, then the one ICP deposit is returned to the person who proposed it. If it is not carried, if it's rejected, then that one ICP deposit is burned in the form of fees from that user. There are other proposals as well. We call them topics. So there are many different types of topics. Some of those topics are a little more behind the scenes, keeping things going, like adjusting the rate at which ICP is converted into cycles. So we keep updating that exchange rate based on the fiat value of the currency that cycles are pegged to. But governance proposals are probably the most well-known and some of the most interesting. And often a governance proposal will be preceded by or happen in conjunction with a discussion on the Definity forums, just talking about that proposal and what people would like to see. But the vote is really where it happens. And then the other side of this whole mechanism is the stakeholder. 
So the stakeholder has some amount of ICP staked in a neuron, which grants them voting power. The longer you have stake for, the more your voting power. There's a multiplying effect there. And that reflects the fact that people with a long-term view are more invested in the longevity and future health of the network. So these stakeholders, all of these different neurons, they vote on these proposals. You can go to the NNS DAP, go to the voting section, find open proposals, and then vote on them. But we also have another mechanism, which we call liquid democracy, which is that neurons can follow other neurons. And then if a neuron that's being followed votes in a certain way, then the ones who are following it, they stand a good chance of voting in that same way. The reason I say stand a good chance is because you can follow many neurons, and that may change the dynamic of how you actually vote. But let's say you're only following one. So neuron A follows neuron B. Now neuron B, who may have only a stake of one ICP, but their vote will now count for as much of the voting power as all of the people that follow that neuron. So this allows individuals, not necessarily whales, but people who are well known in the community for having decisions that support the network and that are good for the network, to be able to influence by having people who do have a lot of stake invested in the network to follow them. It also opens the door for things like DAOs, like the Cycle DAO I know you're a part of, Arthur, because your Cycle DAO is committed to staying on top of all of these governance proposals and making choices that you've advertised what your policies are, what your preferences are, and then people can trust you to vote consistently in that way. I like that you've brought this up and left this perfectly open for Diego, who is often the man behind opening those discussions in the Definity Developer Forum. I try. <laughs> the man behind sounds funny. I didn't realize it was like the Wizard of Oz. But yeah, my intent is to show the community, set a good example. In fact, there's many things that definitely tries to do. Try to be a good example for others to copy of how to lead discussions and also learn from other people. And quickly iterate, we've made many mistakes in having openness governance proposals. I've had my proposals be rejected by the community. <laughs> I've had developer forums that I've let explode on me. <laughs> so I, I've definitely learned publicly, and I think that's part of it. But yeah, my general intent is to ultimately just lead by example so that I don't need to be there. <laughs> and I've seen more and more of that, more and more people just picking up the ball. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I began a discussion about a proposal at one point. Wenzel Bartlett, the man himself, he seems to be the guy who's really taken control. It's just worth mentioning that there is someone out there in the community who has literally become a one-man governance machine. And it's been awesome to see. Yeah. And this ties into the top theme here, which is taking so tokenomics. But the intent is the internet computer is to be a long-running system that's healthy. Healthy takes many shapes. Healthy means that the code is updated so the critical bugs are resolved. Healthy means that if the community feels that you need to change some parameter in the tokenomics, it can be tweaked. And healthy also means that there's enough node providers so that developers can trust that their smart contracts will live on for a long time. There's no subsidizing, there's no customers. So this is to be a healthy ecosystem that can live on itself. So the community is watching the IC and trying to keeping it healthy. That is the intent, keeping the IC healthy in the long run. Dago brings a good point because how do you define healthy? And this gets into what tokenomics is and why tokenomics is important and what the incentives are about. See, the incentives are not there merely to create yield farming opportunities for people who are staking, because you do earn rewards based on the voting that you do and how much ICP you have staked. It's really more about health. 
And I don't know how much the users are familiar with economics or having read Adam Smith or anything, but one of the things that was discovered early on is that when you create an environment that allows for a free and easy flow of trade, then the economics of that environment will create a global incentive for people to work together. So Adam put it in the best way. He said, roughly speaking, that by people each acting in their own interest, the economy as a whole acts in the best interest of the majority. And so it's this idea of what he called an invisible hand, but that's what you want to set up. You want to create an environment in which the small incentives that people have and the choices that they have to make collectively add up to the best overall actions for the network. So it's tricky at, at the first because there are certain decisions the Definity Foundation made in tokenomics that were just straight up constant factors. How much supply would there be? What would the APY rate be? How tokens would be unlocked into the market? Those decisions were in a sense somewhat arbitrary because it hadn't been moving yet, hadn't been alive to collect data and find out what has happened. So as time goes by, some of these decisions will come to light as having been great ones, and some will come to light as needing improvement. And creating an environment in which the community can say, hey, this decision isn't having a great impact on us over a year's time, over two years' time. Let's submit a proposal to tweak. Let's change some of those constants, maybe add a new feature, maybe take away a feature. But that all gets to the health that Diego's talking about, and that's why tokenomics is essential to that health. Now that we've gone there, how are the token economics organized for the NNS, the network nervous system, which is what the governance system is called? At the moment, they are a structure that existed at Genesis. So it's essentially a table of data that we call network economics. You can see it in the code on our public repository, and it set all the initial values. Updates to these values can be made by its own proposal without needing to change the code of governance. So it's a data-driven model. And that's essentially the heart of it. The other part of it, though, of course, is the code that acts on those values. And we recognize that over time, some new values will need to be created. And maybe those values need to have more sophisticated ways of being evaluated to make tokenomics easier to update in the future. This is cool to think of the plumbing behind the scenes, because, you know, for me, I'm not a developer. It's just this magical black box that just works. It's interesting to think that this, everything is written down somewhere in the code and we can just go change values and make everything work. It's cool. And what I'd love to encourage among the people listening is that although on the Definity side, the governance code was written, these network constants were decided, the best feedback is when the community says how things are making them feel, what they find to be difficult to work with, what they find really is positive. If you come to the forums and you suggest things, those things get listened to. There are a lot of suggestions right now for tokenomics changes in the Definity forums. Just this week, I was doing a search for tokenomics, governance, APY, different keywords, and collecting a list of what all of these suggestions have been to bring them up internally to see, well, which ones do we want to focus on perhaps doing next? So there's a lot of voice also to be had simply in being vocal about what you care about and what you think is good or bad about the current tokenomics on the forums. There are different design goals that tug at the tokenomics. There are different things that tug with like requirements almost. So I'll just start ratting off a list to show like the different tugging, like the gravitational forces. So you want a blockchain network that has very low storage costs for developers. So classic example is in Ethereum, it costs 
hundreds of millions of dollars to store a gigabyte for a year. What a platform we could store something for a trivial amount of money. So in the IC, right now it's $5 for an entire year for a gigabyte. You want a platform that has a very low transaction or gas fees in the Ethereum network, to use as a comparison. So you want that. You also want a network that has enough incentive to incentivize node providers to be available 24-7, not just kind of come and go with like the whims of the markets. Okay, You also want to have a blockchain that incentivizes people to vote, to actually stake to vote. So you also want to have a network that has an incentive for a lot of people to stake. In fact, 80% of the ICP is actually staked in neurons right now. So that's a pretty high staking rate. But you also want to have one that does not mint so much ICP that people start to lose faith in ICP. So these vectors that need to be balanced properly, that probably changes with the times. Like, maybe the IC is too cheap, so let's <laughs> charge developers a little more. Maybe it's not cheap enough, so we need to make it cheaper for developers. Maybe the node providers need more incentives. Maybe the stakers need more incentives to stake. Maybe the incentives are too great for node stakers. <laughs> These things are all kind of balancing each other, and um, it's a dynamic system. There is no single answer in any single day. Right, and, you know, it's funny because the discussion of cost of storage comes up regularly, and gas costs, right? And comparing Definity with Ethereum. But really, these are two very different products. One where you're acting as the settlement layer. And in the case of Definity or the internet computer, you've got a monolithic application hosting data storage, and I guess settlement platform as well, although you could use it as a layer two and settle transactions on Ethereum as well if you wanted. So the requirements for that platform are just fundamentally different for something that has different applications. That said, we've brought up neurons a couple of times now. Can we go through the neuron system for staking? Sure, that's a great question. So in the NNS, there are two main components. One is the ledger and the other is governance. The ledger manages accounts and allows for transfers between accounts. These are just regular old liquid accounts. They hold ICP, they transfer ICP. In the governance, we build a system for proposals and voting that is founded on neurons as sort of the basic unit of participation. You can think of a neuron as a wrapper around an account that has new additional details associated with it. One of them is that when the ICP goes into the account associated with the neuron, it is locked in that neuron, so to speak, for a certain length of time. It is called the dissolve delay. The longer the dissolve delay, the more voting power that locked up ICB has. When the dissolving is started, after that amount of time of the dissolve delay, the ICP then becomes liquid again. So if a neuron has no dissolve delay, it will not participate in voting and will in most ways be the same as any other account. It's called the sub-account of the neuron where that ICP lives. It's the ability to apply a dissolve delay and thus gain voting power, which makes the neuron functional and have utility. The neuron also acts as an identifier for that amount of ICP when voting, for example. When a proposal is submitted and created, what happens is that all of the neurons in the system that are eligible to vote will have a ballot created equal in power to the voting power they had at the time the proposal was created. Then the proposal goes on and will be voted on. And when the proposal is finally decided, 
then if that neuro, each ballot that participated in voting will then get a percentage of the total reward based on how much ICP it had, what its own voting power was. The ballot is in a sense detached from the neuron. So the neuron has to exist at the time the proposal is created for this ballot to be made, but then the ballot is associated with the proposal. So if something were to change in the neuron, say you split the neuron in two, you would still receive the reward of that original ballot. So there's a little bit of complexity moving around, but the idea is to track ICP committed to the network for the purpose of voting, and then to fairly represent what that neuron's voting power is for each proposal in the form of a ballot. Okay, and then of course, it's the neurons themselves that follow one another. So one neuron can follow another, and that's where our liquid democracy comes in. Correct, they can follow other neurons by topic. I was going to explain like on five this because I just had to do this recently for my nephew. You explained Definity Governance to your nephew? I was trying to. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, you have your Legos, right? And I described it as the neuron is basically an egg of Legos. And if you put in this little egg of Legos, which you can't touch for a month, a year, whatever, you get more Legos inside it. It's definitely an oversimplification, but I was trying to explain to him that it's not liquid that when you put your ICP in this little egg, which is a neuron, you just can't crack it open. And it'll be locked for as long as you set the original lock. And if you lock it for a long time, when you do crack it open, there'll be more there waiting for you. Okay, so how do people practically go about staking? How do they go about putting their Legos into one of these eggs, Diego? Great question. Now, this was beyond my capability to explain. (laughs) I, I will be honest. So this is more of explain like I'm 15. So there are many ways to stake, ranging from if you want to maximize ease, like how make it easy for yourself, or if you want to maximize control. So I'm going to talk about the ease because I think it's the most podcast-friendly way to talk about it. The easiest way to stake is that a user would go to the NNS front-end app, which is a web app that's hosted entirely in the internet computer, and it's essentially analogous to a wallet, if not a wallet itself. People would just transfer ICP to this NNS front-end app, and there's literally a button that says stake. You click on that button, you have staked. So you go to the NNS front-end app, you deposit ICP to the address there, and you click the stake button. It is that simple. I can dive deeper, but I think that's really the high level. What about all the sliders and all the other buttons once you've got (laughs) one of these actual neurons staked? The biggest slider is how much time is it going to be locked? The amount of ICP is usually a fixed amount for a given person. You go to the market, you buy 10 ICP, you stake that 10 ICP using the NNS app, as Diego said. And the biggest question is, how long do I stake it for? So I think perhaps the most asked question on the forums is, should I stake it for eight years and start dissolving it now so that I get that ICP back at the end of eight years? That's when I break open the Lego egg. Or should I stake it for four years and wait four years before I start dissolving it? Because then I accumulate this thing called an age bonus. That is, the longer a neuron has stayed in the locked state, the more it gets an additional bonus on top of the bonus related to delay. It's a smaller bonus, but it's multiplicative with the delay bonus. And the answer to that question is, the longest delay length always wins. So even if it's dissolving, the eight-year dissolving neuron will generate more return than the four-year wait and then four-year dissolve at the end would. How are the different voting rates calculated and how do the unlocking mechanics work? 
There is a community conversation on this called Neurons and Staking that I did a few months back. It has some nice pretty pictures for these questions and talks about all of these factors in some detail. So I'll mention it just briefly and we'll refer people to that community conversation if they want more information. But the dissolve delay is a number from either six months. Well, it could be less than that too. It could be a day, but six months is when you will begin to get voting rewards. That's the minimum duration that ICP has to be locked up to participate in voting. Eight years is the longest duration that it can be locked up for. The bonus that you receive on your ICP and contributes to the voting power is 1x at six months and 2x at eight years. So if I stake 10 ICP for eight years, I'm voting as if I had 20 ICP. Staked for six months. Oh, yes, exactly. I'm voting as if I had 20 ICP staked for six months. And the APY rate for the 2x is pretty much roughly about double what you would get from staking those ICP for six months. The age bonus, which is if you leave the stake locked up and you don't start dissolving, your neuron starts aging. And it keeps aging up to four years. And once you reach four years, it hits a cliff. And although it's aging still, it doesn't reflect any of that age in the bonus. That bonus is a multiplicative bonus on the delay bonus of 1x at the moment the neuron is created and is locked, and 1.25x at the end of that four years. So if you take the 2x times the 1.25x, that's a 2.5x total possible multiplier on ICP for an eight-year locked-up neuron that is stays in the locking state for four years. So after four years, now that's the most powerful type of voting ICP, is ICP in such a neuron. To put concrete numbers, that means that if John has 24 ICP and he's voting, and I have 10 ICP, I'm a poor person. <laughs> if I'm more bullish, if I stay for eight years and I have an older neuron, I can catch up to John. I can have 2.5 times 10. So I, the poor person, can have more voting power than John if I am willing to stake for longer. That is a democratizing, balancing factor there because I show that I have more long-term thinking. Okay, and now there's this APY that is pretty dynamic. I mean, I remember for a long time, it was around 30% and then it went up a bit and then suddenly it crashed to just over 20% right at the start of the new years. Was that you, Diego? <laughs> I saw you raise your hand. <laughs> Let's take a step back for our audience to explain how the APY works. So I get asked this question all the time. So the way it works is a little bit of the reverse of how people think it works. So ultimately, the APY, the number of ICP rewards you get are supply and demand. It's ultimately supply and demand. So let's define the supply. The supply is the number of NNS rewards minted any given day or any given year. In the first year, the NNS is minting 10% of its total supply, so roughly around 50 million, give or take, to give away as NNS rewards. So the question now, well, who's the demand? Well, the demand is people who stake. So if only one person stakes year one, that person takes the whole 50 million. If a whole lot of people with a whole lot of ICP stake, they all split up the 50 million. So when people saw the projected APY, which again, is not the goal, it's just the downstream consequence of a whole bunch of other variables, which I just described, what happens is that as more people stake, 
the number of ICP, the rewards that your average neuron gets goes down because you're just splitting up the pie. The pie, again, currently is 10% for year one. And since it's been eight months since Genesis, we're now the NNS is minting 9.3% of the total ICP. So if you go to the internet computer dashboard and click on the circulation tab, you can actually see a projection of how much NNS rewards are minted so you can get a sense of the overall supply of rewards available to you. So what Arthur was alluding to is that in December 2021, just a few weeks ago, a whole lot of neurons started staking right before the year ended. And that dropped the projected APY from 28% down to like 21%. That's because a lot more people started staking. That's also how we reached 80% staked rate in the network too. So some people, myself included, would argue that's a good thing. So we've got this, I guess, a seniorage or inflation rate of, say, 10% per year for the first year that's decreasing over time. And that goes down from memory 1% a year and then down to 5%. We could actually have a discussion about whether or not it would be beneficial to keep that decreasing or, I mean, these are all parameters, I guess, that are set in that little sheet of numbers that are stored in the NNS somewhere. Is that correct, John? Yes, that's correct. That schedule of decreasing of the supply minted is built into the code as it stands right now. And I do want to say something about that because supply is a very important economic factor in the health of the network. So we have total supply, which is all the ICP in existence. And then there is the amount of supply taken out of circulation by staking, which I believe right now is around 80 to 85%. And then you have liquid supply which is the supply that's not being staked and that's freely available for trade and exchange. When people need to burn ICP to create cycles in order to pay for storage and pay for compute, this will have to come out of liquid ICP because if it's staked, you won't be able to burn it to create cycles. So as you look at the future of the network and you have 15% available liquid ICP for burning, that's not only the ICP that will be used by businesses for creating compute resource, it's also the ICP that's going to be used by the market for trading, for speculating, for doing whatever traders want to do based on ICP price and development. When someone wants to run a program on the internet computer, they need to put that into a canister and fund that canister using cycles. And they get those cycles by burning ICP. How does this system work? This is a good question. So I'm going to talk from the software developer point of view for a little bit, and then I'll talk from like the more like generic user. So from a software developer point of view, they can look at the internet computer as a virtual machine, which has instructions. An instruction costs a certain amount of cycles. If you go to smartcontract.org, you can see the table of how much each instruction costs. The instructions are kind of anything from like, uploading data or creating a new canister. There's a whole lot of instructions. Each one has a all measured in cycle cost. This is important because if you think about a centralized platform for a second, like an Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud, what you would see is you would maybe rent a server, maybe you pay by computation, but the IC is a virtual machine. So there are no servers. You don't have any of that. Your canister just exists entirely in this network. So the only thing to measure in terms of cost for computation are these delineated instructions. You pay for the instructions, depends on how many instructions you use up, that is how much your DAP will cost. 
Now, from a user point of view, it's like, okay, how do I actually get these ICP to turn into cycles? The most common way is to use the NNS frontend app I mentioned that also allows you to take. So the NNS frontend app allows you to take ICP and convert it into cycles. This leads us to a key requirement of the tokenomics of the internet computer, which is very subtle and people sometimes underrate it, which is a design intent of the internet computer is that the market fluctuation of ICP does not affect the developer experience. So a classic example is that when something like Ethereum skyrockets, speculators are happy, but now developers are not happy because what used to cost them 10 cents to do with a smart contract now costs them a dollar or $10, bringing down smart contracts to a halt. It is a design intent that ICP can go to the moon, but developer costs are sane and constant because cycles are pegged to a XDR, which is a basket of currencies that's denoted by the, I forget what international organization. Is it IMF? I'm not entirely sure. It's an open basket. The idea is to not peg it to any particular national currency, but to a global basket of currencies. What really what happens is that the cycles relatively cost the developer. If ICP goes up 20%, goes down 20%, the developer should have a relatively constant experience of how much cost and compute costs, which, if you take a step back for a second, is how computing works. Everywhere but in crypto, costs go down or are stable over time. In crypto, you're like, oh, it gets more expensive to run my DAP? That's like anti-Moore's law. That's just crazy. <laughs> it's completely anti-Moore's law. Only in crypto does it get more expensive to run your DAP. So the IC is meant to like, no, like there are performance improvements of hardware. Things get cheaper. Yeah, things should get cheaper over time for your DAP. It is crazy that sometimes we're used to a world where, oh yeah, my smart contract is more expensive to run. Diego, it sounds like there might be a bit of a party going on in the background there. My wife's in the other room, and yes, I think she's having a very fun meeting. <laughs> it sounds like it. Okay, right. This is really interesting for two reasons. One, this is kind of like a stable coin that is just built into the system. But then two, this is a stable coin that gets its price from proposals made to the governance system. Is that correct? Well, I would pick apart that word because I think it's very, it's potentially dangerous. So it's not a coin because it's not really tradable. It's more like the gasoline in the tank of your car, to use like a physical analogy, right? Your DAP can go this many miles per the gallon. So it's really the gas in the car, the energy in the battery. That is what is fixed. But you can't really like transfer your, I mean, there are people that might be moving gas in from one car to another car. <laughs> but by intent, it is not meant to be a coin in of it itself. And the stability part about the how does it get the proposals, there are literally, I want to say hundreds. Every few minutes, there's an NNS proposal that checks that that proposes this is what the rate of cycles to ICP should be to match the XDR price of this basket of goods. There's hundreds of these. And that's under a specific governance topic. The exchange topic, yes. Okay. And I mean, that's not something that people tend to probably have opinions about, although I'm sure they'd notice if that was messed with in some strange kind of way. Yeah. And when I use the word XDR, that's actually the financial code. The actual phrase is, special drawing rights. So if people want to Google it, this virtual currency that cycles are trying to keep up with is special drawing rights. Okay, and that is the IMF from the IMF. Yes, it is the IMF. Okay, cool. 
I think we've done a pretty good job of explaining how some of these things work. Is there anything else we should cover before we wrap this up? I know there's going to be a lot of feedback from the community. Well, one thing we didn't mention is what are all of the deflationary and inflationary pressures? Like how other ways do ICP get burned or get minted? And really we have at the moment, because again, tokenomics is designed so that it can evolve through governance proposals. We have two forms of minting and three forms of burning. So the two forms of minting, the one we've been talking about is allocating ICP for voting rewards. And although we allocate 10% of the supply for voting rewards, it doesn't mean they're minted right at that moment. Voting rewards are accumulated in neurons in the form of what the governance system calls maturity. And maturity sits in the neuron until you do something with it, either merging it back into the neuron to increase the stake of that neuron or spawning it in a reward neuron in order to gain access to that maturity in liquid form. It is at the moment that you merge maturity or spawn it into a reward neuron that that allocation of reward is minted. So it is entirely possible that 10% of voting rewards could have been distributed that they only get minted the next year. And it's the minting event which creates the inflationary pressure, not merely the allocation of the reward. And there are quite a number of unminted rewards in the system right now. The other form of minting is paying node providers. However, that is a very, very small fraction of the amount of ICP minted each year compared to rewards being minted. Very small fraction. So it was initially thought that this was much bigger than it was, but once the dashboard was put out and people could see how ICP was being inflated, then it was realized that node providers are only a small fraction. The deflationary pressures, we've talked about converting into cycles. We also mentioned the one ICP fee that you put up for a proposal. If the fee is rejected, then it will be burned. Again, not necessarily at that moment. Fees are collected when a neuron is dispersed or when a neuron is merged, but it doesn't happen right away once the proposal is rejected. So you could again have a neuron that maybe has been making tons and tons of proposals that has never been dispersed, could be accumulating a lot of fees that are going to be burned at the time that that neuron is dispersed. And then the last form of burning is when people make transactions. So anytime ICP is transferred from one account to another, when you stake, when you spawn a reward neuron, when you do anything that involves the movement of ICP in any way, that burns a very small amount. It's one ten thousandth of an ICP, but it is a burn that happens immediately. And that is another source of deflation in the system. So two sources of inflation, three sources of deflation, but by and large, the biggest inflator is node rewards and the biggest deflator is cycle conversion. I was going to add a philosophical and a helpful point. <laughs> so philosophical point bordering on the just down to earth personal. So I often get asked on socials like, hey, man, don't you think X should be Y? And, and I want to make it clear in this podcast, and I try to do it over social as well, that my intent is not to be opinionated. It is to actually spend more time educating. So, for example, should the staking maximum be eight years, not nine years, not seven years? I mean, I don't really have an opinion. <laughs> and, and the times that I do, I will mostly make it clear when it's my personal opinion. I spend most of my time actually working on things to help people make their own opinion. So I'll give a concrete example. I worked with the dashboard team to release the dashboard for circulation. 
I did that because a lot of people were really concerned about no provided rewards being such a huge part of the tokenomics uh, minting rate. Instead of arguing with people, be like, no, it's not, or this, I wanted to show people, like, how about we just give you a dashboard so that you can see what is the problem people should focus on? And if people still want to focus on no provider rewards, that's great. But I don't want to tell people to focus on this problem or to focus on this problem or that this is the right solution. This is sometimes because I'm just not smart enough, but also because I think it's important in the foundation's role to let the community as much as possible decide. So yes, there are parameters that were set at Genesis, but we really want the community to decide or whether they're the right ones or they want to tweak them. We really, really want to encourage more and more of this. So a lot of times we focus more on education of what the parameters mean or dashboards of what the state of the tokenomics are rather than being opinionated such as like, this has to be this way. We want to create a space for these conversations and not necessarily bully our way into them. So sometimes people may not think I'm being helpful, but I'm trying to be helpful. We brought up this idea of engaging the community, of having them take part in what is healthy. And this is a great example you give. Should the maximum staking period be eight years or seven or nine? And we mentioned a little earlier in the podcast that the idea of liquid democracy is that your voting power is not necessarily about stake. It can also be about who follows your neuron. So you could have 10 ICP, create a neuron and have a large following and thus have a very large influence on the development of the network. There's another way to have a large influence on the network, which is make a proposal. Spend one of those ICP and suggest that the maximum staking length be 16 years, scaling out to a bonus of four times. If you create the conversation and you move people to agree that this is a healthier way forward than the eight-year limit, that can have a large impact on tokenomics and the future of the network. So it's not just a system for whales. Whoever has the largest stake is the one who wins. It's the person who has the good idea. And that's one of the things I like about this system is that it motivates good ideas in a way that they can win, even though that may not be where all of the financial resources are pooled. The last point, which is a little more down to earth, but I think it's worth saying is that please, 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 if you're going to stake, consult with your local authorities or accountants or like, what is the rules of staking in your jurisdiction, country, city, state, whatever. As it relates to taxation? Correct. People in crypto have been burned by this. Since this podcast is definitely targeted towards simple English and then good explanations for newcomers to the ecosystem, please consult your local authorities for staking because some jurisdictions, some countries still have not decided how to treat staking income. And some have, and it can be quite painful. <laughs> some have, and it can be quite beneficial. So please consult and make sure that it's okay in wherever you're living. I cannot stress this enough. Again, I want to be helpful of people. And for some people, this may mean that where you're living, staking is not a thing you should be doing. I'll be frank. In some places, it's great. But I want to be very direct that you should definitely know what you're getting yourself into and how to do it. Okay, so they shouldn't do like me and just lock it up for eight years immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, consult your tax accountant. I live in the United (laughs) States and I've locked for eight years, but I take great care to make sure that I abide by the letter of the law in the United States and in California. But that means I had to do a lot of research and also talk to a lot of accountants. So please, I encourage everyone to do the same. And unfortunately, that's something we can't change with proposals within the network. No, right. Uh, Not yet anyway. (laughs) Correct. Okay, well, this has been really, really helpful, guys. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff in here. I will put a link to your community conversation, John. 
that goes more deeply into the way that neurons in the NNS works. I think we'll solicit more questions from the community so that we can probably do a follow-up because I know that'll have to happen. But this has been one of our longer episodes. So thanks for sticking with it, guys. And this is our second recording of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, no worries. And yeah, always a pleasure. Hopefully I'll see you in the office sometime sooner rather than later, Diego. Are you in the basement of the SF office? Yeah. Oh, I can see that. I can vaguely tell. It's like, okay. Yeah, you know, I'm in the egg. That's where you store your ICP. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. Diego, when will the wiki be available for Arthur to also put a link to managing your ICP? It might be as early as tonight. It might be uh, Monday morning. There's a page on that wiki called Managing Your ICP that has links out to other pages that cover a lot of the material Diego and I spoke about. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The Internet Computer Weekly is part of a larger effort at education, governance, and community building we are calling the Cycle DAO. We host a follow target neuron, which is controlled by the voting members of the DAO. This membership is composed of investors, enthusiasts, developers, entrepreneurs, and some ex-Definity folks. We monitor the Definity forum discussions of NNS proposals and also use community surveys and one-on-one discussions with ecosystem participants to inform our decisions. You can find instructions to follow the neuron at cycledao.xyz. That's C-Y-C-L-E-D-A-O dot X-Y-Z. We have additional content and discussions of our voting decisions in the blog section of the same. If you stumbled across this podcast online, you can subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or any good podcast aggregator. You've been a fantastic audience. Please tune in next week for more great discussions. Thank you.